I'm a Jose Sintiara. Just Frankie. Willie Boy one. That's, that's us. Uh, this is OAS Info Service. Bring you uh, information that we think is pertinent to uh, all things within the OAS uh, world. Uh, today, the OAS is in a little bit of hot water this week. Yeah. Yeah, they actually made the news. Uh, they usually stay out of the news, but it's kind of weird that they did, and we got the show, so we should maybe start with that. Huh? The OAS. Yeah, yeah, I think we should start with that. Yeah, well, how, what's going on in the OAS? What's going on in OAS land? Just mentioned this part, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, I guess you know, part of Biden coming into office has been, um, and in the face of the war uh, in Ukraine with Russia, kind of like moving towards a multipolar type of. Uh, local dynamic, uh, a more emphasized one anyway, um, uh, Biden has tasked uh, uh, Mexico, more or less, to help them organize a meeting of the Americas with all the countries of North and South America meeting uh, to kind of get on the same page of things. Um, it's an important meeting, you know, to show, uh, you know, where the U.S. is uh, diplomatic and uh, other kinds of capabilities are at in uh, making these kinds of deals and coalitions work. Um, it's a test of Mexico's partnership to America and their role within the larger American uh, milieu. And, uh, you know, as what's coming to head now, it's also a call uh, to account um, each nation standing uh, where, where they're at with America. And, you know, uh, it's not. You know, I want to say, you know, it's not Cuba, Venezuela's fault uh, that America doesn't want them there. It's kind of awkward <laughs> um, for America to be like, I want to invite all the countries, but not them to. And then just like middle school, now other countries are like, well, if they're not going, we're not going. And then Mexico's like, okay, well, now, like, the meeting's kind of looking stupid because, you know, it's not, it's like not what we want it to be where everyone comes together despite our differences and faces our problems together, you know, head on. It's like a sowing of our divisions, you know, and uh, America's like, well, I wanted to have my party anyway. And uh, I think that's kind of where it's at. I yeah, and I'm counting on you, AMLO, to make sure that everybody shows up. And if the people that I invite in my party do not show up, I'm going to be very cross with you. I'm going to make your life very difficult, Mr. Lopez Obrador. Yeah, no, it, uh, it seems to be uh, striking up, I guess you could say, solidarity with certain countries, right? Nicaragua is banning OAS entirely from Nicaragua. Uh, I know we were talking about AMLO, AMLO our boy. Uh, he's not going. Yeah. Mexico is sending... Damn lovers. The foreign minister, right, is sending his going in his place. Uh, yeah, multiple, multiple heads of state have now gone on record to say that. It won't go because it's exclusionary. How can it be a meeting of the Americas when you're including countries that are in the Americas? Right. Interesting turning of the tide here. Yeah. It's a good day to not have any official affiliation to the OAS. <laughs> Just a coincidental. Yeah, could it be us? Um, <laughs> could it be us? 
Yes. But um, yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, the OAS has been oh, uh, a force to set a certain kind of capitalistic narrative across the Americas. Um, you know, from America, you know, and we see that up close here in Chicago, meritocracy, um, you know, uh, justifying uh, the oppression, economic oppression of people living right next to, uh, you know, obscene amount of wealth. Um, uh, yeah, I was just caught up on Twitter right now with this thread of how predatory uh, Ron Emanuel's tickets were, uh, primarily targeting uh, some of the most vulnerable people in Chicago that had filed for a very rare, um, uh, you know, you can file for bankruptcy, but you can also file for chapter, uh, for, uh, for chapter 13 and go further in Chicago to uh, like further indebt yourself to the financial institutes that run the city. And, uh, and I mean, some people got forcibly displaced because of this process. So it's like, that's, that's, you know, it's a capitalistic weapon. Um, and, uh, you know, we're kind of circling closer and closer to Chicago, right? The OAS wants to build a dam in uh, Honduras, right? So they go and they chase the people away. Well, you know, the lessons they learn in Honduras about how to displace people, they bring them up to Chicago to put them through the real estate. Then the lessons they learn, you know, displacing people out of, uh, you know, the southwest side here in Chicago, they go ahead and they bring it back to Latin America to, you know. See it. It's, it's the OAS is the propaganda arm of that. Um, financial economic kind of process and um, the Fidel Custero um, culture of, of these endeavors, you know, like the uh, Biden administration seemed perfectly content, like having Juan Guaido, like just stand the place for all of Venezuela, you know, and all the people there and all the opposition parties that are still vying for uh, viable uh, democracy and like stuff that is legitimate, you know. What a goof. We're like coup prone here, you know, we're, we're just like one coup removed from a real coup in America um, would be a good time to like not be dicks, but could it, could it be us again, America? So. I, th I think about Juan Guaido and, and I, I say to myself, whatever you screwed up today, you're not like him. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm glad that it cheers me up. <laughs> what fucking so. goofy. Well, let's bring it back to Chicago. We're talking about uh, parking tickets. Uh, a lot of us living in Chicago have experienced getting shitloads of parking tickets. And I guess if you can't pay, there's some kind of extreme bankruptcy you can declare called uh, Chapter 13, where are you required to move out of Chicago or something like that? No, it just uh, gouges your wages, uh, even uh, prioritizes that new uh, loan structure. Um, over any other <laughs> bankruptcy, uh, what you call it, any, even the money that you're that that put you into bankruptcy in the first place, right? Hit, you know. So they just they're garnishing your wages, they're taking it right out of your paycheck. Yeah. And now they want to build a casino. I have oh, a lot right. of concerns about the new casino. <laughs> just ramp it through. Uh, this is going to be like a building filled with. I'm imagining different levels of different levels of total uh, degradation and human sin and more and more elite units of the police department are going to be guarding the access to each level. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, I would be embarrassed, you know, like for cap as a, any like diehard capitalist, like the people at the economist, um, like, 
that a major global city is basically saying we, we need a roulette wheel to rationalize capitalism because it's it's obvious guys it's 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 uh it's gripped it's graft it's it's us screwing you um and you enjoying it and uh we we just you know we're tired of like trying to find another game to uh to funnel and slush and make excuses for the money you know this is the way that the city cleans up so much of what shouldn't be legitimate business if you know but because it keeps this entity that is capitalism going um it's given way more leeway than you know uh socialist squatters you know trying to create a housing co-op you know out of an abandoned building uh homeless encampments along the highway asset to you know, to the whole process of capitalism is you know it's given a lot of discretion and this whole ca the casino just being you know not legitimized uh, by the state, by the city, by municipality, by the government. Um, I mean, I, I think it's, I would be embarrassed, but there's no shame, no shame from the government here in Chicago. So, um. any, any thoughts on the casino, Frankie? No, I think it's just interesting too. They're uh, part of the whole tug of war now is uh, one who is, you know, I don't know exactly who um, is in contention, like which organization, right? Like, I guess. Gory Lightfoot has said that the leading candidate is Bally's. I don't know what organization that is. Anytime I think of that Bally's, I think of the back in the day, the total fitness gyms, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but uh, I know the other part is that the, the site that they're trying to build it on, or, or the Bally site would be uh, Chicago and Austin, like the old uh, Chicago Tribune distribution site. Oh, wow. Uh, and apparently there's there's Alderman fighting, fighting for which ward would get the site of the location. It sounds like the mayor is interested in, in at that site right there. Um, what would you call that? That's uh, that's not West Town, right? That's that's kind of West almost Town. Almost North. Yeah, right? it's, it's it, it needs something. Yeah. It, it needs you what know. Actually, really bring it to Western. Well, if you drive, if you commute on I ninety, you'll definitely have seen the old Chicago Tribune distribution center. Yeah. From the highway, cool silo like grain silos, I think, right by there. Yeah, my dentist used to live at uh, East Park on the West Kid. Yeah, oh man, we lost in the 25th ward. Um, we it was going to go into the 78 developments, and the alderman there pushed back against it. So people can decide whether that was a good or bad thing. I think that's consistent with what the community there would ask. So, um, still. Anti casino, but man, that old Tribune distribution site that would actually really work, you know. And the other big red, red flag, I think, obviously, is that uh, the mayor is very eager about it, so like, yeah, anything, that's shady. <laughs> Gordy Lightfoot is very eager about it and wants to get done quickly. Big red flag, right? Yeah, slow it down there, Lori. She's got the biggest dick in the room, <laughs> bigger than the Italians, yeah. I'll give her yeah. that. She's been, she's been memorable for the sound bites. I'll give her that. You know, we're she, I think she like lives in the full awareness that we're living in memeable times, and it's uh, formidable. It's, it's I'm scary. willing to for, yeah, I'm willing to form a tactical alliance with anyone who can big dick the Italians. <laughs> big dick meme energy. That's that's Lori Lightfoot. Top notch. Yeah, that's true. Gotta give. Yeah, but I think the the Detroit casino 
has always had a lot of problems. Uh, I think it was part of the plot of RoboCop 2. It's like, uh, that's kind of where I got my tower metaphor from. Detroit has a municipal casino or is it just a casino? I didn't realize. Oh, well, uh, I mean, a municipal casino is like, (laughs) come get your food stamps or double or nothing. (laughs) No, man. Sounds like America. Okay. Yeah. So it looks like the next step in the casino approval process takes place Monday. This is moving quickly. Very. The Valleys Corporation was selected by Mayor Lightfoot to receive the city's only casino business. Wow, are those aldermen up for re-election or something? Yeah, River West, that's what they're calling it. They beat out two other billion-dollar bids, one from Hard Rock, of course, uh, that wanted to do it just west of Soldier Fields so on the South Loop, uh, and one from Rivers Casino. I think, doesn't Rivers already have, like, a betting uh, in, uh, by O'Hare in Rosemont? Yeah. Three Rivers? Or yeah. Or uh, but the other one, then that one would have been, so the other two locations would be in the South Loop that were up for consideration. $1.74 billion project. Yeah, I mean, what I was, if we yeah. want to raise revenue, let's tax the gamblers in the commodities market. Gamblers like, uh, you know, Warren Buffett and, and Byron D. Trot, let's tax them. They're already gambling. I don't think, I think this casino is a nightmare. For those interested, there's a public town hall tomorrow at the UIC uh, Doran Forum on this, on the ballot. What time? It is at, from 7 to 9. Oh, that's very tempting. Yeah. It says representatives from the city and Valleys Corporation will be there to share additional information, respond to questions, and hear from community members. All right, we might have to go and make our voices heard and do some original reporting. says that... Uh, the $1.74 billion project includes a 3,000-seat theater, an extension of the Riverwalk and Pedestrian Bridge, 500-room hotel, an outdoor park and music venue, fitness center, sun deck, and pool spa, of course, six restaurants and a food hall, 3,400 slot machines, 170 game tables, and nearly, and this is, <laughs> nearly 3,000 permanent jobs. <laughs> Oh, 3,000. Yeah. How many slot machines per worker for a permanent job? That's a, that's almost a one-to-one ratio. Nice. <laughs> you know what? The, they're just getting ready for, like, half of Florida to go underwater and be inhospitable to get all those retired people to live in, like, new high-rises over there. Oh, just okay. gamble their savings away. This the other part I'm laughing at. According to officials, Valleys has committed to... 60% minority hiring for its nearly 3,000 jobs. How much uh, minority uh, gouging? The uh, city estimates that the casino will bring in 200 mil a year in tax revenue. Wow. Oh, money that is earmarked for police and fire pensions. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, they don't get none. Oh, the pensions, right. Yes. And we have how, to... Uh, that makes sense. That's how she's trying to fix that problem. Yikes. Or part of that problem. Control that problem. Yo, but I don't know. I, I, the uh, whoever Bally is, the little like, the little watermark, the little yeah. logo is the exact same as the gyms. Maybe it is. Though. Yeah, wow. this is weird. I don't know who they are, but well, that's that's possibly. I mean, this is like really disturbing that that all the money is going to go to the cops, and it's all going to be cops getting hired for those jobs, right? Oh wow, the Rivers Casino one. If they would have won, if their bid wins would be in the South Loop, including Chinatown and Pilsen. It doesn't say exactly where, but it says including Chinatown and Pilsen. 
So I'm guessing somewhere just south of UIC. Or yeah. Maybe like along Canal Street. Probably right by the river spot. Like probably That's south, nice. South nice for the south. students. After class, go blow off a little south. steam at the tables. And the hard rock one would have been uh, right at McCormick Place, essentially. Something needs to say about the place. And if you're gonna gentrify the hell out of an area in Chicago, I mean, they don't trip you building, I guess, you know. It makes sense for my, my, uh, my life, but. Uh, Keep your interest. Yeah. The, uh, but that Chinatown spot probably would have been the coolest one. The uh, urban planning in you, right? Yeah. It was peaked. Yeah. Well, that. You're gonna draw a lot of people, a lot of different type of activity there. Uh, it's all yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about about the the cop angle i think there's going to be a lot of cops somehow turning this this casino into a dark tower of you know like like a well yeah i mean like they would guard that before any politician before any banker before any um anyone if you guard the money like you stop making it symbolic put it all in one dark terrible place for these yeah, awful people to congregate at just it fits chicago perfectly awful, yes capital and and then it's gonna be like um, <clears throat> paying all their pensions and stuff. So it's like they're pot committed and pretty gross. I mean, I think it's admitting here in Chicago, and I and I feel Chicago created libertarianism, um, University of Chicago's colonial um, austerian kind of mindset onto the world. Um, it, it's almost. Chicago wants to live the reality of like the government is not responsible for your health. We're already rapidly moving there. I feel like this uh, next municipal election, which is what a lot of this uh, general shit talking is meant for. Um, I mean, the, Chicago, the city's getting ready to say we're not responsible for your education. You know, you live in a country where, you know, we have allowed market forces to create plentiful uh, educational uh, possibilities, and it's also mandated for you if you want to work and continue to live here. But it's not our responsibility to provide that to you. And I feel like Chicago wants to emphatically be moving in the direction to make that argument. Um, that's BS. That's just because they can't control education because it's becoming more democratized because um, so many minorities are taking over the profession, taking over the process, taking over the higher. Uh, oversight of the entire infrastructure of it all. So now they want to like sincerely chop it up for parts and have no ownership or stake or responsibility for it. And I mean, that's... That's, that's kind of what Marx and, and Lenin said about uh, democracy. Like uh, Marx in particular, he said something very impactful to me about um, that basically in 1848, they kind of had the, this other French revolution in the Paris Commune. And basically he said something like, by 1850, the people had learned enough from being kind of tricked and fooled in elections that they were really prepared to use voting as a tool to take power. And that's when um, the party of order and Louis Napoleon uh, got rid of the franchise. Wait, so is that was fake Napoleon's time? Yeah, I mean, like, I always felt like electoralism is a shield um, against, like, legitimate activists to move into legitimate spaces of in, of institutions that, you know, have survived waves and waves of changes of humanity. Um, you need that if you're going to change those institutions, topple them, break them, or, you know, divvy up their power. Um, 
I mean, I think that we're moving into that phase now where we have pushed electoralism like to the brink where I think that coup that we saw in like January of 2021 was a response to the Bernie Sanders movement, to the anti-capitalistic sentiments of our generation, to the breakdown and, and challenging of the local police, uh, which call it brutality and, and conditioning out to the population, you know? Yeah, it was, it, it was on both fronts, like, um, it, but we had said it since that's happened, but we know for a fact that that was a Black Lives Matters march storming the Capitol. They would have been gunned down by the hundreds of thousands. Oh yeah, well they had a uh, they had there's all kind of weird stuff. Somebody's got to really go through all that footage because it's pretty wild. It's all recorded and like live stream is totally public. So somebody's got to go through that and really uh, like get to the bottom of what was going on. Because what the some cops let them in, some cops fought with them, and then they had um, the Proud Boys starting shit in one area, and then the three percenters rushed in another area. It was it was all very, and then you know, of course they're getting accommodated and treated with the kid gloves. You know, they just tear gas the Black Lives Matter people the week before or whatever. And then you had a couple of the Proud Boys that um, were in the chamber looking for uh, the actual physical uh, election, uh, uh, whatever the hell they were going to ratify. Um, they were also working as personal guard to uh, Roger Stone. Right Roger Stone. March to the Capitol. Yeah, so it's almost like he let them know, like, hey, if you actually get your hands on that and it goes missing, you know, it's going to create uh, an opening, you know, where we might actually be able to challenge these things. Like, I think those guys went in thinking they were like, we're going to do it, we're going to do the special ops. The cuck that Roger Stone is is a public cuckold. He wrote an advertisement for some swingers magazine asking for strapping young men to come and. That's dark energy, crazy. You know, we talked blood magic and crazy stuff that uh, other the other day. Uh, uh, well, but like that, I feel like that's that's why he's into the political dark arts. That whole posturing of his is, is part of it, and it's. I mean, big know. tattoo of Richard Nixon on his body. Yeah. Very, uh, and I hate to say this word because it almost has a positive connotation, but he's very interesting. Uh, that's not the word I, get. I hesitated to use because you almost were like, okay, but uh, yeah, no. I, I hate to use like a Netflix documentary for reference, right? But I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but not all of it. Very interesting shit on me. Shit. Yeah. Then we should watch. We should watch it all together and like ra- live react, like Rocky Horror yeah. Picture Show. Yeah. I mean, wasn't he like uh, on trial recently too? Wasn't he in like legal hell? I mean, I imagine he is all the time, right? But he was. I mean, he was. Uh, the, I do a little background on that too, but he was like the connect to Manafort and Trump and so many other shady figures in the UK and Silicon Valley. He he put all these awful people together. Um, he's uh yeah he's he's Machiavellian. I would say is uh, you know the most charitable way of you know he's interesting in that aspect. He's, he's you know. Let me see if I can find one of these pictures of him as a snotty little youth, young Republican. He's he is. He just looks like Draco Malfoy. Yeah, like Richard Spencer working for the Democrats. That's a Roger Stone move. So like that's no bueno. 
Like right now, Richard Spencer working for the Democrats? Working for Mansion and Cinema when they were trying to take on uh, the Build Back Better building. Successfully killed. Um, Spencer's taking credit for that, but uh, I was like, stone. Yeah, look at look at uh, this situation right here. Disgusting. This is like him as. <laughs> I said Joe Biden standing. The Gordon Gecko. Thanks, yeah. The Gordon Gecko. Yup. The. It's got a poof. What? Yeah. This. He's not craggy, but it's like there's a certain amount of. Uh, uh, decay from repeated, you know, exposure to chemicals, like different chemicals, I guess, sweating out coke and alcohol. Yeah, look at the young and look at him as a young, strapping young, big swinging dick. He knowingly likes to like party, and like parties pretty hard. Yeah, that's a part of the Republican thing. They kind of want to sell you on the idea that they're not like partying. But that's pretty much what it's about. It's about getting money and partying. I mean, it's, it's, it's unapologetic colonialism. Like, we're here to conquer this planet and these people, and we're allowed to because we're God's chosen people, or not, whatever. We get to do it. Um, I think Roger Stone is really about not caring, just doing it. And yeah, this guy's a sicko. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the other dude. Uh, this, is, this is Walter, uh, the Lee... Atwater, you ever heard of this guy, Lee Atwater? Supposedly, George Bush's whole cowboy persona is just him copying Lee Atwater. Sounds about right. All right. That's, that's his uh, dark. And this guy, this guy is somebody too. He looks nefarious. Oh, Definitely looks like him, right? Bro! <laughs> <laughs> Always been keeping the, the Russian right race. <laughs> And they're all partying. You know they're all partying. Oh, yeah, no. And he's like, psyop back then. Didn't Hillary Clinton work for Atwater? Atwater worked with, I think, uh, no, he did the Willie Horton, you know, the, like, the, it was like the really racist dog whistle ad from the, the Dukakis election. It was. Wrong cold water. Wrong water. Taking a gold watch. <laughs> there you go. Shit, the close associates. The, well, the, so that kind of dead eye. The likeness there. is startling. Uh, yeah. yeah, I thought maybe the first thing we could get into was uh, this um, Rom and Trot, right? Players. That's speaking of players, like. Uh, Manafort and uh, Roger Stone and all that. Players ask favors, big and small, in emails. For sure. I'm going to go through this. Um, since 2010, Trot and his wife have given at least $97,100 to Emmanuel's campaign fund. In April 2014, investment banker Byron Trot sent an email to Mayor Ron Emanuel's personal account in which he promised to co-host a political fundraiser before making a series of requests that included asking that the mayor provide high-level access to a new executive at Trot's firm. Both Erkskeen and I are looking forward to hosting a fundraiser for you in June. Our teams are working together on finding a date and a place for this as a right, Trot wrote, apparently referring to former Clinton White House Chief of Staff Erkskeen Bowles, whom Emmanuel served with as a top Bill Clinton presidential advisor. Bowles and an advisor 
is an advisor to Trot's namesake investment bank, BDT Capital Partners. Given your broad support, the only challenge will be to find some who haven't already maxed out, wrote Trot, whose bank is housed in the Wrigley building, which BDT also owns. Awful. So I think last time we talked about that, Byron Trot has connections to the whole Obama network. And now he's into the, the Clinton network, right? Yeah. Airskine Bowles. Who is Airskine Bowles? I mean, if he's living in the Wrigley building, that's like living in like the Empire State building in, in New York City. You're not <laughs> there for the air conditioning, you know, you're there for the status. So like yeah. Oh, here we go. Uh Center for Strategic and International Studies. He's a native North Carolinian. Erskine. Erskine. There's more than one way to Erskine a cat. Are your bowels? Yeah, bowels is also sort of on, you know, Erskine bowels. Sounds like, like, I don't know, some kind of knockoff fur. I don't know. <laughs> knockoff fur? Uh, uh. Well, works for Morgan Stanley. He left Morgan Stanley for a form in middle market investment bank, Bowles Hall Connor, which became premium mergers and acquisition firm in the middle market. Uh, he would later firm, uh, form a venture capital firm, Kitty Hawk Capital, co-founded middle market private equity firm, Carousel Capital, and service partner in the New York private equity firm at Portsmouth Little. That Kitty Hawk Capital sounds vaguely familiar. Kitty Hawk Capital. I wonder if there's a Buffett connection. Must be. I got you. But, um, yeah, I mean, this shows the local political connections of this guy, right? Right. Well, this is the whole, like, ecosystem that, you know, he lives in. And, like, here he is flexing on Rom, like, you want some of that money? Well, what's the ask? A little more than an hour later, mayoral aide Jasmine Magana forwarded the email to both the mayor's campaign and fundraising coordinator Ann Olamey and administration aides David Spielfogel and Abby Masters with the mayor with the message the mayor wanted me to pass on to you all. So going through the channels, fast track through the channels. Trot's email and the reaction of the mayor's office underscore the intermixing of politics and government issues at the core of legal efforts to obtain Emmanuel's work product involving city business that took place on personal email accounts. Oh yeah, that whole Clinton emails thing. Oh, it's conspiracy theory, right? Wow. Um, well, why, okay. Amid the thousands of emails released by Emmanuel's attorney this week to settle a lawsuit with the Better Government Association, our Murad Agrad requests, Murad, thank you, requests sent to the mayor's personal account from corporate heavyweights, campaign supporters, and politically connected, aimed not only at helping their businesses, but also their lifestyles. There's a request seeking Emmanuel's help to get a business, a, get a business, a state tax break. There's a plea for the city to hold off on a major announcement for fear of alienating a business's investors. There's an ask for assistance to block a zoning change in a Tony downtown neighborhood. And there's a lifelong friend who wants to keep a local business from being evicted, noting the mayor's wife had been a patron. 
As for Trout's email, after proposing a political fundraiser as an annual geared up for a re-election bid, the investment banker asked the mayor to appear at an annual summit his BDT bank organizes for the ultra-wealthy and influential business leaders. Oh, shit. We got to get into this global summit for the closely held. Yikes. Yeah, we do. Annual summit. You know, I, I was just reminded of, of a certain plot point as... As we develop this uh, Byron Trot equals Marty Bird uh, connection, you know, that whole like season, second season is about getting a casino in uh, the Ozarks, right? But why build a casino in the Ozarks? We could build it in the old Chicago Tribune Distribution Center. Yikes. Yeah. I wonder what kind of money they're going to offer. Green money. Yeah. Trot's email then moved on to asking Emmanuel to provide top-level access to his administration for a new executive. It's the Baker Kepper. As I mentioned, BDT has just hired her first chief network officer. Can you please connect her with your chief of staff or someone else who is seated as a similarly senior level with a good access to you? Damn, point blank, Trot, bro. Sitting with the channel. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the... I feel like this... This dude is like keyed into the like command and control mindset of the military because he's in the corporate command and control of the closely held businesses, you know. So it's like put my guy in your channel, and then you know if I and me and you tangle, you know I've got my chess piece already in position, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, we saw who else got um, their start that way. Um, Alan Pinkerton, you know, was part of the Cook County Sheriff's Department and was able to christen the new uh, police force in Chicago to start his own uh, police agency, the Pinkertons, and then elevated that with the train tycoons to break up strikes across the country. So they served as personal guard to Abraham Lincoln, even foiling an assassination attempt before he was inaugurated and sneaking him into the White House, uh, which haunted Lincoln's presidency. People call him kind of cowardly. And then ultimately failing to stop John Wilkes Booth from shooting him in the face. It's, uh, you know, it's it's a guy that builds up his rep of guaranteeing results and delivering exactly what you need when you need it, except uh, when you're not his client anymore, delivering you maybe. The ultimate Marty Bird move is what I understand about the last season, but I haven't seen it yet, no spoilers. Okay, this this part, uh, I guess, I mean, this is all pretty interesting stuff. I don't know. You want to read some, Frank? So it says, uh, the it was unclear if Trot held the Emmanuel fundraiser. Oh, no, actually, this is this is the part right above that is really interesting, too. Uh, Collins defended the instance of mayoral staff contacting campaign staff regarding a request for the mayor's time, calling it completely acceptable and within bounds. So they saw no conflict... <laughs> with uh, what was going on there. It was unclear if Trot held the Emmanuel fundraiser. Since 2010, though, Trot and his wife have given at least 97000 to Emmanuel's campaign fund. The nearly 2,700 pages of emails revealed other instances where top corporate execs and their businesses had Emmanuel's ear. And it goes on to list the United Airlines request as the next big one. So in an email exchange from November 2012, then... Manual staffer Tom Alexander let the mayor know that United Airlines had a request. 
United uh, was giving back 5.6 million in city tax incentives used when United moved its HQ from Wacker Drive in 2017 or to Wacker Drive. By 2012, five years later, the airline was moving again, this time to the Lewis Tower, forever known as the Sears Tower, and thought returning the TIF funds for the prior uh, redevelopment was appropriate. United has asked that we hold the story about their TIF return for a day or two. They are doing a monthly earnings report that will show significant loss due to Hurricane Sandy, and they are concerned that reporting they are giving back this money on the same day will cause problems for their investor relations. Huh. The news of the refunding could be replaced with an announcement about a city job fair. Got it. Jobs fair is fine. <laughs> a few minutes later. But think about this. This is like United Airlines wants to get a bunch of subsidies from their quote-unquote losses due to Hurricane Sandy. So they want a shitload of money from New York State. So they're having uh, Chicago, uh, you know, they're going to give Chicago a little bit of the TIF money back. And then these maybe these staffers are rationalizing it to themselves that, uh, oh, well, they're they're going to, you know, make up for it with the Hurricane Sandy money, but we'll get the TIF money back. So it's good for Chicago. But I'm sure they're getting more money from Chicago, you know, just out the other the other door of the big, you know, city hall. They're just bringing a little bit back and taking a whole lot out more, you know. Yeah, eventually news of the give back was released just a few days later. Incidentally, executives from the airline have contributed at least $137,000 to Emmanuel's campaigns. What a fucking coincidence. Wow. Let's chuck a change. Life's crazy how many coincidences you see in life. Like, you know, so, ama- that they did that for him. Like, they, like, followed the instructions that they received. And then they also got all this money from him. Like, whoa, it's, like, so trippy, man. Yeah, all kinds of uh, deals being cut here. CME, the Chicago Exchange, is the next one that's listed. And that Someone who, yeah, who could give the money that the casino, oh, we're t- talking all this casino money, the yeah. Chicago Mercantile Exchange could take like a 0.05% tax and generate that much money. Yeah, he was in communication with them, not even in all, not even a month into his tenure as mayor. He was, he was in on the ground floor quickly. <laughs> oh, I was trying to figure out if this CME guy Duffy is related to the other Duffy, who was the um, the chairman of the two party ink pack. Uh, but it's it's kind of unclear. They didn't grow up in the same town, at least, so they might be cousins or something. Wow. Duffy from CME wrote to uh, Rahm Emanuel: "We have many issues, and we have always been a good citizen in Chicago, Illinois, and the country." We need your help on a host of things so we can remain relevant. We want no handouts. We just want to be treated fairly. <laughs> With the manual support, CME in December 2011 secured a major state tax break that cut its state's that it's cut its state income tax burden nearly in half. Wow! The entire Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Jeez. Owned by the Kennedy family. During Emmanuel's first mayoral run, CME Group, why not? This is Kenny Thompson. Given Emmanuel $200,000, the CME Group had given Emmanuel $200,000. Duffy also contributed $5,300 to Emmanuel in 2013. Yikes! 
But, you know, the, since the state of Illinois is so broke, we have to build a casino to make money. It's like... Yeah, it's, we get the gist. We get the gist. So BDT and Byron Trotter amongst many of the uh, big corporate execs in Chicago who, were, who had the mayor's ear. I mean, can, uh, is BDT going to be involved in this casino? It sounds like right up their alley. That's the connector to all these finance groups and shady money pots uh, looking for finessing their individual problems somewhere. Well, that's that's an interesting question because if you think about it, think about this um this Bally's, right? That used to be like a gym. Why is it now investing in casinos? Well, if it was like a small business, right? That's the kind of thing that BDT would want to uh you know, leverage and kind of use as a vehicle for their own aims. Right. So it kind of makes you think like, you know, I mean, maybe it's not direct BDT owns Bali or whatever, but it's the same kind of like uh, idea. Right. Well, yeah, no, because uh, it's interesting. It's good that you bring that up, too, because just kind of doing like a quick, not too big of a deep, just a recent like uh, news coverage or, you know, any sort of articles on uh on BDT, the most recent one I could find was uh, BDT taking uh, Weber Weber Grills public, their IPO public, and that was in 2021. That was over a year ago. Uh, so, like you said, Weber's. I mean, as far as I know, it's a, it's a big name. You know, it's, when you think of Grills, Weber is one of those things you think of, right? I, it's interesting to me that they're barely going public, right? First of all, and that BDT would take them uh, public. So, hey, maybe BDT is doing the same for values, right? Well, yeah, something like that. And I think that there's, like, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I found some of these uh, uh, resources on, on the UIC's website that they have, um, like, business databases. And you can look up all the companies that uh, uh, BDT has invested in in the past. And... Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to check that out. We could we could check it out if you want. Uh, that uh, sure, you want to do it right now? Uh, I was thinking about trying to get in because we talked last time about trying to assess to what extent uh, Buffett got bailout money, BDT got bailout money, and basically the answer is a hundred percent that uh, Byron Trot. Uh, was a Goldman. Buffett used to be a Goldman. Goldman basically handled all the bailout funds, distributing them to Wall Street. Buffett got a, basically um, bought into Goldman. He gave Goldman a shitload of money. And then uh, I, I don't know exactly how the details worked out, but he got a shitload of money back. And I thought we might write, read Warren Buffett's thank you note to the American public. Sure. To show what you know, I'm sure it's going to be very humble and. <laughs> so much for. It's got to be right because it's the only banker that Warren Buffett trusts. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I didn't put all the, I didn't connect all the dots and stuff, but I think there's like a ton of circumstantial evidence that, that this like, I mean, it's almost like, uh, like, like Marx wrote about it or Lenin or something like. When you have these crises, someone comes in to be the strong man and, and guide everyone through the crisis, and they basically do what they want with the spoils. And, and it's not the first time Warren Buffett's done it. 
True. But basically his kind of media connections, um, uh, his self-promotion to like make himself be like, oh, he's like the wise capitalist. He's like the shopkeeper who's now in charge of the whole economy, but he's still got the common sense of a shopkeeper, you know? Advisor to the world's richest man in Leeds has a fortune of 3.6 billion. Thanks. 3.6 billion? Small little family owned. Uh... This is a Byron Trout article? Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, this is. Yeah. Think Advisor. Yeah, go ahead and read it. Yeah, read a few paragraphs. Let's see what we think. Byron Trot, Consigliere. I love that term. To some of the world's wealthiest families, doesn't like being called the billionaire's banker. 62 year old founder of BDT Capital Partners has quietly amassed 3.6 billion fortune, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index making the former Goldman Sachs Group Inc. executive as wealthy as some of his better-known clients. Uh, he left Goldman Sachs in 2009 and started his own Chicago-based advisory, where assets have rapidly swelled to $28 billion. One of the firm's first investments, Weber Inc., went public this week. So this is from last year. While BDT is the grill maker's majority owner, Trot and his family personally own a 5% stake worth $240 million. Weber, has a, Weber was a typical BDT investment, family-owned and often founder-led. Other investments include Whataburger, restaurants, Cox Automotive, Casa Dragones Tequila, and German car parts manufacturer Schaeffler, Schaeffler AG. BDT, BDT's model, pitching advice and investing its own capital, is in many ways a throwback to old world merchant banks. It's also one of that can be found phenomenally lucrative for its founders. I think BDPT's purpose being to serve and add value to their clients and their clients are largely family run businesses, said Tom Pritzker, a Trot client for decades and chief executive officer of the Pritzker organization. <laughs> well, they, I've got an article about how they got hooked up. That, that I think it was Tom Pritzker owned Hyatt and Byron Trot. I mean, it seems to me that this was almost like a little low-key bailout of buying his Hyatt while he was the CEO of it. And it's very, it's cool that you, I don't know, this was before I started coming on with you guys, but the connection that you guys made is, I mean, obviously it's local in Chicago, but it goes on to He's he's a very he's got a very Midwestern focus. Uh, so he started as a stockbroker in St. Louis, right? Uh, a lot of the these, you know, what do they call them? These family-run businesses that he's, you know, linked to are all, you know, Midwestern-based. So well, you know, his first his start was that his father was a lineman in uh, Missouri, and uh, he showed such a talent for figures in business that his father lent him $30,000 to start a clothing store in uh, a small loan. Yeah. And normal, you know, it's like nobody was wearing any clothes in St. Louis until. And he got all the teenagers to shop there. That was his like big business thing was like, and his, he's got like an interview with 
I wish we could use some of this archival footage in like an easier way than just watching it. Cause he's got this hours long interview with the U Chicago podcast for it's like a zoom call interview where he talks about his whole life. He's got this speech he gave for the Horatio Alger Institute. That, that shit was nuts. Uh, I guess he won the Horatio Alger Award. I guess it seems like the kind of thing you might like pay for. But, you know, Horatio Alger wrote these short stories about how like a young orphan, you know, they they save their pennies and and then they, uh, you know, started a business and became a billionaire and anybody can do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps is uh, is the term from hate Horatio Alger created that term. So he he somehow got the Horatio Alger Award. And to me, it's like, okay, like suburban town you know this dude's business is his cachet with other teens in high school and uh maybe you know i am imagining a scenario perhaps marty bird stars in this scenario rather than byron trot but marty bird as a teen in the suburbs of st louis he uh he attracts friends from his high school by dealing in another type of merchandise than blue jeans, you know, dealing perhaps in uh, the types of substances that are uh, often part of the commerce of a high school or a teen scene and uh, rapidly accumulating $30,000. And then once he's got the 30000 you know, that's less a loan from the father uh, in the... 1970s like like a reg i guess it's like you know house prices kept going up and stuff so maybe it was like his dad just had 30 grand lying around hand his son cash to start a business or maybe the enterprising young businessman kind of pulled himself up by his bootstraps bootstrapping from you know higher margin businesses uh of the greatest interest to teenagers and then maybe creating a you know a small business as a home base for that other business as it started to grow, you know, and this, this is, you know, kind of cemented his interest in small businesses and how pliable they can be uh, when they're closely held, you know, for such a long time. I mean, using small businesses to clean up drug money is basically what all 26 street is built on. So like, yeah, like, but you know, I, yeah, I think he's doing what works. Doing it all like weird and creepy and Illuminati-ish. It's all tied to the Obama administration, like who's who in Chicago. Um, you know, I, but I agree. I mean, it's, uh, I, I did want to share this one thing though. Uh, kind of a weird development. Uh, we were starting off talking about the OAS, uh, what you call it, summit. Uh, Obrador is uh, flat out saying that he or he reiterated that he has lost respect for President Joe Biden. Ooh, wow. Strong words between heads of state. Uh, but he makes uh, the comparison. He says, uh, Joe Biden, who was vice president of Barack Obama, who even went to Cuba, he questioned why this changed now, if the change in union of the entire American continent is necessary. I mean, I, you know, like, everyone has to give it to Trump about something. You know, like, I... I I want to give something you gotta to hand it to him the amazon people um you, you have to give it to obama on a couple of things he went to cuba he met with uh fidel castro 
You know, he had Fidel Castro meet with the U.S. president. Didn't seem too happy about it, but the Cuban people were pretty happy about the change of pace. Um, he had the Cuban government more or less in a position of this is the way it's going to be. Um, and uh, it, it's gotten just botched over like zealotry and, um, I, in my opinion, Florida real estate schemes. Um, wanting to gentrify. I Cuba. believe it. Yeah, like Obama has had set up a very. I, honestly, I was, I was, I'm more of a proponent of the Iran deal than a lot of people, and maybe that just means that I don't know enough about it. But everything I read about it seemed to me like we could have ushered in a much better uh, geopolitical path. Um, Hillary Clinton overtly wanted to use those better uh, diplomatic channels to uh, isolate Russia, who has now willfully isolated itself. I, I, you know, all this just to, to bring back, uh, you know, Biden, I don't, I, I think he's been tasked with trying to keep uh, the union together. And in some ways, I think he is the Lincoln of our times, um, you know, uh, through chance and circumstance. Um, it's kind of fallen on him to, to hold it together. And it's, it's kind of spooky because it's kind of, he, he seems to be a let things that I don't care about kind of sort themselves out kill themselves off until I have to deal with them again. And uh, Well, you just said Biden is the Lincoln of our time? Uh, by by chance and circumstance. I don't know. I, I also <laughs> feel like, you know, I'm building a conspiracy theory of how Lincoln got elected in the first place, but that, that's also on me. Um, mostly because Lincoln was a wrestler. Fundamentally, nothing has changed. Yeah. Yeah, fundamentally, nothing has changed. There's no change. Like you said, like you said. Did. But to Obama's point, this is a change. You know, like uh, Obama had set a precedent that is now like completely backwards with Biden, who was Obama's vice president. So like, frustrating. Um, we try to stay uh, in the good graces of the right, center right, center right, small business. Uh, Gentrifying forces that look at all the Cuban land and buildings as like, oh, hotels, casinos, since that's going to be the hot new thing. Same reason he's considering the 10K loan forgiveness. Everyone has 10K to put back into the economy. And there's an election coming up. There's an election. Little, little taste. Um, that's a 10K at this point. If he would have done that right away, he could have got some mileage out of that. But after like two years, 10K, it's like proud, you know, fuck that. <laughs> that was the plan. That was the plan the whole time. It was like, all right, make it get into the points where even 10K, you're like, yes, it's a win. But yep. it's not. Because yep. you said it was all gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe it's like being this close to the Irish gangster machine that is uh, Ed Burke, uh, Ed Burkistan land and Madigan land, uh, their overlapping pissing contests culture that I was raised in um, as an aside, as a waiter. Um, it's like a very Irish gangster joke of like, I mean, they're laughing, but I don't know if it's a joke. <sighs> like, I don't know. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's not surprising. Biden's administration has not been surprising to me when I compare it to, like, what if Michael Madigan was president? What if Ed Burke was president? They I can see that. A less charming, like, walking zombie version of, like, 
Biden, but the more or less the same outcome. Um, yeah. Does it feel great? Well, yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally just rejecting the idea of diplomacy, like, no, we can't include Cuba. They're bad. We, we have to, like, exclude Cuba and Venezuela. They're bad. And, uh, you know, that and all the malfeasance uh that that like has been shown towards cuba and venezuela just openly trying to support those goofballs trying to overthrow the government and uh you know marco rubio's tweeting pictures of maduro next to uh dead Gaddafi, and uh you know this this level of uh you know it's i i guess it's not how you get people to cooperate with you maybe they're counting on the big stick you know, to straighten everything out, but hopefully, you know, we can uh, inspire our communities to resistance and, and resist the big stick as well, you know? I would hope, I mean, well, I mean, we're off to a bad start with this uh, AMLO-Biden showdown and the OES summit kind of like falling apart, although it's to be expected, um, considering America's posturing, considering the other countries' uh, reality, and, uh, and basically what AMLO's home project for Mexico and, and, you know, his own internal battles uh, with an opposition looking to quickly sell out to, uh, you know, colonial forces. I don't know how they didn't see it coming. So they didn't, uh, you know, Chile just selected who they elected. Right. Peru just selected who they elected. Right. We got Colombia about to possibly take that turn as well. But on the other side, then you have like the Philippines that just went from oh. strong arm populace yes. to returning back to a crown genocider, you know, Dictator. and uh, right, just like, uh, you know, God says it's okay for me to kill and persecute and, you know, sort you out. And people are like, we might just be there again. Um, or at least. The yeah, there's an interesting conspiracy connection in the Philippines. Uh, there's this story of, of the ya, ya, uh, Yamamoto's gold buried in the Philippines that the the Japanese imperialists looted all this gold across Asia. And, and at the end of the war, they smuggled into the Philippines. And, and somehow the U.S. intelligence and, and the Marcos family were, were able to steal, steal this gold. Awful. I believe it, though. I believe it. That's that's very interesting that Colombia is undergoing a left wing shift because, uh, as as I understood it, that was almost like a, a like a military base at at a certain point of of U.S. imperialism. Like, I mean, like a third of Colombia lives in abject poverty, and like the military just has like American lifestyles and just gets more and more brutal. Um, at some point, you know, they're losing. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a place that things get locked down. NATO considers Colombia um, their best friend in the Americas. So that's not a great sign for either institution, nation, or Is that the cops coming? What is that? <laughs> I don't know, but that's obscene. It sounds like a flying saucer over the mic. It's the chopper. Yeah. The chopper right over us? You know, one of your neighbors... Uh, one of Jose's neighbors left a uh, Lincoln town car with Irish sham uh, the Irish flag with a shamrock in the middle for both the front and back license plate. No <laughs> license plate. IRA flag <laughs> in the background. An AK in the helicopter. What? The outside? Ah, that's just 
90 trot. He's like sitting on his private helicopter while someone on the scanner's like, they're talking smack. And he's like, let me get by midway airplane. I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's something like that. Because yeah. there's people out standing in the street recording right now. So something's up. I got it. Oh, damn. Maybe, can you go down there and interview them and, and, and see what, what's, what's going on? Somebody's landed at the airport. In style. All right. Well, well, where to from here? Do you want to cover a little more Byron Trot stuff, or uh, or what? Yeah. Um, unfortunate. I hope by, uh, I hope uh, Amlo and Biden um, find a way to make up and have conversation and do a great photo op for both of them. Um, I think. Um, yo, if you know, screw like uh, I, that. Summit of the Americas was always going to fall apart because, as you mentioned, Marco Rubio's dorky ass is like straight up calling for the death of the head of state and that's normal in his party and uh what you call it biden has to like posture of like yeah i'd be down for that why not and also like but maybe not so like where that that whole summit was going to fall apart um if biden is able to get all of the former mexican presidents together um including amlo and like discuss uh what's called their relationship uh mexico's relationship and moving forward um i think that would be his own little personal diplomatic victory that he could actually pull off because all of those guys are thirsty for some biden favors right now like all of america so uh, but all of ukraine gets the money so clearly plays favorites like an irish mobster would catholic bastards but um Sorry, now I'm rambling. Um, but yeah, to bring it back to uh, Irish gangster politics, Chicago. Um, who do you think Byron D. Trot? What do you think his play in the mayoral race, besides this casino, quite obviously, that we're figuring that he has to be caught up in? What's going to be his play? That's what I want to know. Very good question. Because now he's kind of shifting from you know, being a banker to the billionaires to being kind of like a principal investor himself, right? right? So what we do know, though, is he's definitely active in investing in mayoral campaigns in Chicago, amongst other things. So, And all these uh, guys have to have real estate investment. I'm just wondering where his are. The Brinkley building? Oh, yeah, definitely. That. Which is not much of an investment. <laughs> Sorry. Urban planner job. It looks nice. Though. It's so nice. Let's see if there's any recent donations. Probably hasn't changed since last week, right? Tory Birch, Pete's Coffee, Pilot Flying J. Oh, Pete's Coffee, something. Uh, yeah. The last, uh, the last donation is is Bill Daly for Mayor 2019, 100 grand. Oh, wow. Okay, that makes sense. Those were that was the that was the Obama crowd guy. Who was it? Bill Daly. That was his oh, guy. Oh, okay. Over Lightfoot, which is why I feel like you know it's not Lightfoot. It's, I mean, like I'm sure that she's courting that group. I wonder if the casino's her own way to flex against that group too. That's more. I mean, she's the big dick energy, you know. Like that's more her style. Big dick her way through. I I can see it. Pops. Uh, let's see if, yeah, let's get, um, let me, let's see what businesses, uh, they currently own. 
uh, I think this is it, Grooveco. Well, <laughs> no wonder those kind of popping up even more. You know those kind granola bars or energy bars? Or yeah. Yeah. Trust investors. Minority investors. Man, I got, hey, he's got me. I got that Green Mountain Pure Cups over there, and I got that kind bars. Yep. Ah, oh, wow. Capitalism. He's got a very diverse portfolio. It's <laughs> clever. Clever person. Yeah. Still don't be by my tribe, but like. Coffee though, granola. They're good compos. Rick? What a string is being pulled. Crispy cream. That's bad for us. Well, yeah, that bubble burst. Uh, it's gone. About 10 years ago, they, had, they opened a bunch in the city, and now they are taking the city proper. Mm -hmm. Gotta go to uh, Elk Grove Village. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I used to have one right here on Pulaski. It used to smell yeah. amazing. I used to have one. There's one right here on Archer and Harlan, too. Like, why did we need two that close? So, like, exactly, <laughs> right? Like you said, bad business law. Yeah. It was just a boom. Yeah. I think both case banks. They're both banks for sure. I can't remember if the one on Harlan was what are we looking for again? Sorry. Oh yeah, investment. Oh, we're just checking out this business database to see what companies BDT is owned. Here we go, BDT Capital Partners. I love academic tools. All right. Um... All right. So they uh, they sold the Minati organization in 2021. New Minati. They sold. Yes, Yep, they remember they sold them to Meritage Capital, uh, Jim Simons' son's group. The All right, still on the family. Renaissance spinoff. Yeah, another big mover and shaker. Uh, but so it says Brunswick Group LLP. They Holy bought God. that bank. The Culligan International Company, $6 billion. The, They're in the water and water treatment industrial services. Yikes. Uh, probably for soda, beer, and other stuff, like a base business. Yikes, that's a lot of money. I don't know. Whataburger. Lou's Holding Corporation, whatever that is. I don't know. Revive Kombucha. Uh, Einstein Noah Restaurant Group. Truck Light Company. Auto parts, they sold. Panera bread? Awful. So evil. What makes them so evil? Just, I don't know. It's like not an inviting third place, but it's... But it is. I don't know. There was this really funny... There was this funny incident. There, there was a humorous incident, I felt, where uh, I... Um, there's like a NS, bunch of NSA people having a meeting at a Panera Bread in Washington, D.C. And I was just hanging out and listening to their meeting and they were talking about like their strategy for hacking and stuff. Like it was like a training slash meeting. I don't know. So Lou's Holding Corporation, it seems like it owns a bunch of warehouses. 
It's yeah. headquartered in Missouri. It's all time. There's one. Maybe it's hold all his skeletons. Yeah, I think that this Missouri small town, we're going to have to find people who knew him in high school and find field. out what was the deal with that clothing store he was running. Plastics. Okay. Caribou Coffee. Alliance Laundry Holdings, LLC. I'm kind of curious about that. That's kind of something that piques my interest. Alliance Laundry Holdings. Wisconsin. Private health manufacturer and marketer of laundry equipment. Huh. I'm thinking of the Breaking Bad scene where the, you know, the big la industrial laundromat and then you open up the <laughs> basement, right? Uh, industrial machinery. Yep, yep. Genius. Absolutely genius. I mean, company was founded in 1903. And he, did, he bought this when? $2 million. Uh, Alliance Laundry Holdings. This is one of the bigger acquisitions. Yeah. And my, uh, Michael Shob, Todd Rice. Uh, how much, you know, the, the mafia is obviously in the laundry industry. But, I mean, how much did this specific company... If it yeah. goes back to 1908, I'm sure that they there's all kind of government reports and stuff to check out about organized crime where they name names and stuff. You know, and it could be like, you know, Obama and Ron were wearing the badges, like, and this is their money guy. You know, maybe he really was Marty Bird and like, hey, acquire these uh, shady, you know, like connected businesses and, and legitimize them. Um, for our purposes, you know, for the government. Um, yeah, mix it in with a little caribou coffee and a little Pete's coffee and the grill company and the, yeah. you know, then Intelligentsia coffee, I guess, is yeah. he's a financial sponsor of. Just, just can't find a cafe that works for him, huh? Have it's a nice, robust roast. Oh, so he's into so there's no Bally's on here, but he did invest in one fitness company, so it could be another bank. Who knows? Yeah, so why does why are some of the amounts blank? I don't know. Maybe they're two minuscules. Well, yeah, if, if any of our listeners want to try and get on these databases, I think that, you know, you could maybe bother your local librarian if you're not in college. But if you're in college, you, you, you can oftentimes access these. Just poke around, check stuff out. The more you know, kids, the more you know. But consider bothering your local librarian. I think that maybe like uh, the Chicago Library, especially if you go into the Harold Washington branch, I think they'll have access to some of this stuff. They definitely have a lot of the newspaper archive services. They have access to those. Very dope. Ah, guided research is why we do what we do here on the microfish. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was getting into some microfish for our Chicago Race Riot episode. Uh, if you want, I, so I don't know how you want to, uh, wrap, wrap up the episode. Uh, I was kind of thinking we could maybe just go over just to resolve our journalistic question. How, how closely together did, uh, Warren Buffett and Byron Trout work in the bailout? 
and then maybe we could close with with Warren um, Warren Buffett's obnoxious thank you note to the American people for all the free money they gave him during the, the bailout. Very appropriate way of doing it. Yeah. Well, which bailout? <laughs> That's a good point. All they could find, uh, and I'm trying to find it right now, uh, shitty connection, granted, and everything. Uh, the definitely Byron Trot got a Warren Buffett to, uh, to to inject five, I think it was five billion, a, a considerable amount of money into the uh, the OA bails out, bailouts before he uh, he left uh, Goldman Sachs and, and went on his own. Oh yeah, yeah, did. we're talking OA bailout, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, he was definitely, uh, yeah, they were definitely doing stuff. I mean, it's obvious there's so much smoke, there's fire, you know, it's like this dude's so juiced in with the Obama milieu, you know, and then it's like uh, Warren Buffett kind of was so involved in the bailout and made so much money from it, and this guy's best friends with Rahm Emanuel, he's emailing him about, like, uh, just you know, getting out an hour later, he's got the thing he asked for done. You know. Well, anyway, let's let's read this this article maybe, and uh, then we'll we'll hopefully get a fruitful discussion, and then we'll close out just maybe being really angry at Warren Buffett. Sounds good. So the date on this is called chaos puts advice back in vogue. And the date on this is 10th of October, 2008. So this is before Obama's elected. And this is also before the bailout became official. Right. So this was kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, since um, this is sort of like coming out in real time as they're taking their actions. And that's oftentimes the most like raw news you know yeah so buffett a fierce critic of banking fees said trot actually earns them describing his fellow midwesterner as a rare investment banker who puts himself in his client's shoes uh for a while it looked like the big investment banks had forgotten how to give advice they were too busy trading for their own accounts, borrowing $30 on the dollar, exploiting their insider's view of the markets. Now the financial landscape has changed forever, and no one knows whether the same masters of the universe who grew fat on trading profits have a future. Here's some advice for the survivors of the shakeout. Bet on advice. Everybody in this mixed-up mess of an economy is craving advice. Isn't that the truth? The stock market falling thousands of points will do that to people. Even super investor Warren Buffett has his ears open, or at least he did when Goldman Sachs's Byron Trot came calling. So this one, this is before he got his special little BDT capital that's made him, uh, you know. And it's it's brilliant because what this says is uh, advice, right? People want advice, and that's what he did. He started BDT capital and, and advising billionaires of the Midwest. He saw he saw the the demand. For, for that going forward. God, I almost wow. hate to say brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about who you know, right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, want me to keep going? Uh, Trot has Goldman's, uh, Goldman's Chicago office, and he's famous for being the only investment banker Buffett considers worth a damn. 
On at least two occasions, the billionaire has given Trot a public endorsement for bringing him deals. After Lehman Brothers' shocking failure last month, Trot advised Buffett to invest $5 billion in Goldman. So there you have it. That's pretty much... Uh, I mean, the, 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 some of the other stuff I research is, is like the circumstances and the context for how Buffett's Goldman deal was kind of the the core of the bailout, and then um, all these kind of complicated things. It all varies. It all breaks down to like free money for the government for the top tier business people to invest in the economy. Then, but it's like zero percent interest loans and stuff. So they're you know they're investing in small business. You know they're they're investing in like gentrification and they're investing in you know all kind of stuff. But basically, it's by it's Trot and Buffett in charge. It's giving cash to clean up um, or access to whatever it is they're putting cash in. But I mean, like, this is Trot's Marty Bird moment. You got Buffett, you know, uh, to invest because Buffett. I mean, Lehman Brothers. That's that's Buffett, right? So Lehman Brothers was losing money, and uh, it puts into Goldman. So their symbiotic relationship uh, works out for both of them. And he's at Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, is he? I don't know if there's a Buffett-Lehman connection. Uh, but it was much-needed cash <laughs> uh, to Goldman, uh, which Buffett provided only on terms highly favorable to himself. But the greater value was Buffett's vote of confidence. The deal told that the world told the world that a certain guy in Omaha believed Goldman will endure. As Morningstar stock juror Pat Dorsey noted, that's worth an enormous amount to the world's greatest investor. When the, uh, to have the world's greatest investors say you're a survivor. The 49-year-old Trot looks to be a survivor, too. He reportedly works nonstop, leaving voicemails for his clients in the middle of the night so they can act on opportunities. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, this, uh, this is um, reminiscent of a purely fictional and speculative theory about the types of uh, merchandise that he may have been providing to his high school classmates uh, and later on in his life this may have helped motivate his uh middle of the night communications on uh, opportunities and deals maybe maybe you gotta have it <laughs> sure uh, some the pause that refreshes well among other deals he guided buffman in the purchase of a stake in the pritzker family's marmon group and the mars acquisition of Wrigley. Uh, wow. So news about uh, accounts described Trout as a former high school jock from small town Missouri, 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 who started a clothing store as a precautious teen. Precautious. Uh, after graduating from the University of Chicago, he rose to the riches of Goldman and recently drew attention for building an enormous North Shore home. Buffett, a fierce critic of banking fees, says Trot actually earns them, describing his fellow Midwesterner as a rare investment banker who puts himself in his client's shoes. Bringing endorsement from Warren Buffett. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's, it seems pretty clear in this situation that uh, they were working very closely together on the bailout deal. Uh, I think more research, uh, we could develop the contours of exactly how they work together. Uh, maybe, you know, one of our viewers will do that research and make a podcast or maybe one of us, who knows, but there's a lot of smoke here. So it says uh, market upheaval has helped Goldman in the past when the government like competitor Lehman fell, 
then bailed out trading partner AIG. Critics said that Goldman was benefiting again, this time from its association with alum and Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson. Henry Paulson. Yep. Uh, one way or another, competition is falling by the wayside. Boutiques such as Lazard and Rothschild stand to prosper. But with its sale and trading capacity, Goldman retains an advantage. So Goldman is preparing for a confusing new financial landscape that will put a premium on, you guessed it, smart advice. You get big fees without taking a lot of risk, noted David Stoll, a Goldman alum who teaches at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. The advisory business is a great business. It's a business for our times. A business that uh, Byron Trout went on to, uh, to go ahead and start here in the Midwest. And, and this is what they're, the signal they're sending out in the business press, like right as the, the collapse is happening, like before it's even really the public's too aware of it, you know? You mentioned those general psyops that cops run on their own cops. Like, yeah, is this is this like Obama admin like getting ready to just like police all of the finance institutions? It's it's something like that. It's something like like saying, look, you know, if you want to be ahead of the times, get with this guy Byron Trot. Yep, my boy. Yep. And there's a bunch of articles here about your Buffett bailout bonanza, yeah, about how much Buffett you. benefited. You should listen to Byron Trot and float $5 billion for bailouts. Simple. Yeah, whenever you're in that situation. Of course the government will love that. Yeah. And then Warren Buffett says, thank you to America for all the free money. I couldn't have done it without all of your misery. <laughs> he literally said, thank you, Uncle Sam, in this, this con, I don't know, pretty good for, com for government work is how he Awful. assesses the bailout. Uh, and this is from the Vantage of 2010. Dear Uncle Sam, my mother told me to send thank you notes promptly. I've been remiss. So just uh, let me remind you why I'm writing. Just over two years ago, in September 2008, our country faced an economic meltdown. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac the pillars that supported our mortgage system had been forced into conservatorship. Several of our largest commercial banks were teetering. One of Wall Street's giant investment banks had gone bankrupt, and the remaining three were poised to follow. AIG, the world's most famous insurer, was a death store. Many of our largest industrial companies, dependent on commercial paper financing that had disappeared, were weeks from exhausting their cash resources. Indeed, all of corporate America's dominoes were lined up, ready to topple at lightning speed. My own company, Berkshire Hathaway, might have been the last to fall, but that distinction provided little solace. What the hell? <laughs> Obnoxious. Like, he's like, oh, my company was perfect. We would have been the last ones to fall. This is such a multi Berg's letter. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we didn't have to, I didn't, I just showed the links for the articles about how he made so much money from these various deals. But it's, I mean, it's like, uh, the government is still giving out free money with this quantitative easing. They give this money to banks who lend it to investors and then the investors want to turn around and just make money quickly, which is why you get all this gentrification because they want to invest it in real estate. Um, sure. Um, nor was it a just business that was in peril. Uh, 300 million Americans were in the domino line as well. 
just days before the jobs, income, 401ks, and money market funds of these citizens had seemed secure. Then, virtually overnight, everything began to turn into pumpkin and mice. Uh, because, uh, yeah, your business is compulsion. There was no hiding place. A destructive economic force unlike any scene for generations had been unleashed. Only one counterforce was available, and that was you, Uncle Sam. Yes, you are often clumsy, even inept, but when businesses and people worldwide race to get liquid, you are the only party with the resources to take the other side of the transaction. And when our citizens are losing trust by the hour in institutions they once revered, only you can restore calm. This is a ringing endorsement for MMT, I'm just going to say. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, I'll keep going. When the crisis struck, I felt you would understand the role you had to play. But you've never had, but you've never been known for speed. And in a meltdown minute matter, and in meltdown minute, minutes matter, I worried whether the barrage of shattering surprises would disorientate, disorientate you. Uh, you would have to improvise solutions on the run, stretch legal boundaries, and avoid slowdowns like congressional hearings and studies. You would also need to get turf-conscious departments to work together in mounting your counterattack. The, the challenge was huge, and many people thought you were not up to it. This Most is like a, a master class in gaslighting. Yeah. So it's like, look at all the stuff you had to do. Yep, I think you could do it. Wow, that's great. People who second-guess your, uh, your specific decisions, you can always count on that. Uh, but just as there is a fog of war, there is a fog of panic, and overall, your actions were remarkably effective. I don't know precisely how you orchestrated <laughs> these, but I did have a pretty good seat at, as, as events unfolded, and I would like to command a few of your troops. Command a few of your troops. In the darkest days, Ben Bernanke, uh, Hank Paulson, Tim Geithner, and Shayla Bear, all people that American oh. people hold in high esteem, of course, grabs the gravity of the situation, acting with courage and dispatch. And though I never voted for George W. Bush, I give him credit for leading, even as Congress postured and swallowed. And, and there is a, there's a really intimate Hank Paulson, Byron Trot connection. They, they go way back. Uh, I think we might have even talked about it last time, but I don't remember exactly what it was. But, I mean, they're like bosom fellows. I think they were like... I think Paulson was his was like the predecessor to Trump at uh, Goldman Sachs. I think you're right about that. So you could imagine a few late nights, you know, uh, frenziedly sharing ideas about investment opportunities, you know, over a, a desk perhaps cleared of papers so they could uh, spread out their um, brainstorming materials if you catch my drift i can continue yeah. uh you have been criticized uncle sam for some of the earlier decisions that got us in the mess most prominently for not battling the rot building up in the housing market but then few of your critics saw matters clearly either <laughs> in truth almost all of the country became possessed by the idea that home prices could never fall significantly that was a mass delusion, reinforced by rapidly rising prices that discredited the few skeptics who warned of trouble. Delusions, whether about tulips or inter internet stocks, produce bubbles. And when bubbles pop, they can generate waves of trouble that hit shores 
far from their origin. This bubble was a doozy, and its pop was felt all around the world. So again, Uncle Sam, thanks to you and your aides, often you are wasteful, and sometimes you are bullying. On occasion, you are downright maddening. But in this extraordinary emergency, you came through, and the world would look far different now if you had not. Your grateful nephew, Warren. Uh, the world sure does look different. Thank you, Daddy Government. <laughs> Thanks for all the money. Uh, yes, I'll be happy. Let me, let me commend you for the money I gave you. And yeah. you know that, that $5 billion, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know that there's so many more shady oh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty gross how the world gets held up together. It seems like Buffett made this deal to benefit himself, and the government used the, his, the, the legitimacy of his name to uh, pick winners and losers, more or less. <laughs> um, they're like, if you are as sound as uh, Goldman and uh, um, you know infrastructure, and as sound as uh, Buffett's advice on an investment, you might be fine. Um, if you're not fine, you know, you probably should have paid closer attention. But really, <laughs> you don't deserve a bailout. It's about who you know. Seems exactly. Like, seems like. So yeah, uh, he could have been even a little bit more grateful in that letter. But I think he has to put on the show. I think that letter comes two years later to keep up the ruse of uh, the psyops of him saying like, yo, the bailout worked perfectly for me. Everyone complained that it didn't work out for them. I mean, like, yo, it's just the way it shook out. <laughs> Should have followed my advice. It's going to trickle down. Yeah, they'll get to you. We'll get back to you. We'll oh, call no. you. I think it's pretty much what you said, like that Buffett got to be in the driver's seat and pick winners and losers. And Byron D. Trot was a big winner. And is it a coincidence that the five billion is wasn't that like the initial capitalization of BDG approximately? Yeah, they got the, the amount they got bailed out from 2009 bailouts. That's when they got uh. So Warren Buffett bought into Goldman for five billion, and then I think that that's I mean I guess it's like a billion you know five billion versus four billion. It's like a pretty big difference, but I'm pretty sure it was approximately $5 billion that BDT Capital started with, whether that's a, a coincidence. Yeah, I guess there's some kind of logic to that. And now they've amassed up to $28 billion. That's nice. And actually, that might have been as like 2014. So. Yeah, it says they have $29 billion on the company website right now. Okay, there you go. Uh, I think it was the single digits billions, but you know, it's like the, the quantitative easing is that, uh, Goldman Sachs or somebody, the federal reserve creates a bank account for them. And then they put like $10 billion in it. And then, uh, the bank can just use that money for whatever they want. And that's how quantitative easing works. Like, pretty much in a nutshell, it's just like free money from the government, but only for these banks. And that's kind of like what what makes capitalism uh, capitalism. It's just like capital itself is power, you know, and, and the closeness to capital is the, 
comes from closest to power gets you close to capital being close to capital gets you close to power and then it's like it doesn't really matter it's all ones and zeros in the machine you know that they have their organizations and their internal relationships and they stay close to the money and they, they're not going to let you close unless you can be something valuable to them you know i agree <laughs> i agree we couple this with our oas theme um you know what um how do you know who's in who's out it seems like it all you know it's almost like a financial field boost that'll i think that buffett and Rod are part of some kind of like filibustero you know culturally filibustero formation in the in the finance markets compared to the eggheads or something because because they call themselves the you know the oracle of omaha or like this dude's just like oh it's my midwestern down home common sense instead of all that egghead stuff but you know it's it's uh it's a midwestern tradition of organized crime as well yeah you know yeah we're big on that and I think that that um that I was hoping we could talk about this today, but maybe we'll push it to another day. There's this whole thing called the salad oil swindle, where this uh, this guy DeAngelis, he was buying soy oil and selling it to USAID to uh to like use for the foreign aid program, but then um he had been like scamming schools by selling them uninspected meat and stuff, and he was he got all this money from uh, basically doing this similar thing to what Byron Trout does. He was capitalizing his inventory by getting loans with the inventory as collateral, but then the inventory was moving out the door. But So he was basically just like printing money using this soil oil as an asset. Wow. And what, hap what happened at the end of this was that the fraud was exposed in American Express um, had insured all these loans similar to how AIG insured all the housing loans. Yeah. But American Express was going to collapse and Warren Buffett was like, oh, I think it's time to buy American Express. And so basically American Express went in and picked the winners and losers. Uh, this guy, DeAngelis, was totally suspicious and it, it seems like he had some kind of intelligence connections. He was able to get uh, out of the draft in World War II because he was supplying meat to the war effort, but it, it seems like his he was also involved in the black market in meat during World War II and, and maybe selling tainted meat since that's what he was doing after World War II. So he was some kind of connected mover and shaker. And Warren Buffett came in basically after he did this fraud. And he had like a record of being of exposed frauds before he even got into the, the soy oil or sour so salad oil business. And Warren Buffett came in, he does a big angel investment, just like this 2008 thing. He comes in and picks the winners and losers. And uh, I have a book by the lawyer who um, drew up basically the agreement for who gets bailed out what from American Express. And he basically said that the formula that they used was so complicated, only he and the other lawyer understood it. So it was basically Warren Buffett, again, coming in with his personal guarantee, his, you know, aw shucks, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, you know, Midwestern charm, and, and doing the housing crisis thing on a smaller scale until he was ready to do it on a larger scale. Establishing a pattern here. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this whole American Express gambit worked out for Buffett. So like in the midst of crazy panic, he's the sage guru of like how you handle the situation. Byron Trot's the cat's paw, you know, working overtime with all the stakeholders. Or the apprentice mason or something. Yeah. Ew. Spooky. Spooky. That's a good bedtime story. Um, no. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, I think you kind of covered it there. I mean, I'm grateful that you're able to give the play-by-play. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the forum would be. really. There's a, there's a guy who did a podcast about it. Uh, that he, It's like a business podcast, though. And, uh, but I had never heard the story anywhere else. I just happened across it. And then, uh, there's, there's some books about it, but there, you know, nobody's really, uh, not, not a lot of, they, all the articles about it, even the podcast were about like, oh, how wise Warren Buffett was. This is how he got his name, the Oracle of Omaha. And it's like, has anybody looked into like, whether he was involved or something? (laughs) I mean, Angel investor for uh, angel. Yeah, I love that term. It's a falling apart crooked scheme. Yeah, angel and investor, like <laughs> so Orwellian, like uh, literally an angel. Man, well, um, very spooky, very shady. Influence of capital ever um, encroaching onto ever present, ever present. Um, like kind Barcy. Great Mountain Curie Cups attest to that. Um, speaking of green, um, next week, um, I was very interested in trying to start digging into the history of the Green Party, USA and international now. Um, getting most of its start in Australia, spreading across Europe and the English-speaking world, having its first uh, major race in the United States in 1985 after the Koch brothers' failed libertarian uh, presidential run in the early 80s against Reagan. Um, you know, uh, my own uh, take as a, even if, uh, you know, the, the organizers, voters, politicians, um, figureheads of the Green Party are completely sincere. Um, it's uh, something to keep an eye on as to who funds it, who's behind it, who's the face of it, and uh, where their politics are today. They just recently made or are attempting to make an alliance in France with the left party there. Um, but Holland doesn't seem a fan of this move, but he can't really stop his forces and coalition from building this coalition with the Green Party. I'm wondering why they've been absent from Mexico, um, although I think that they're about to make their move in place, so that's why I'm trying to anticipate that. And, uh, and more or less, uh, let's dig into what, how we should be feeling about them going toward 2024. Now, Ralph Nader, um, I have a lot of friends that voted for him. Um, he was kind of a rock star environmentalist uh, throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It almost seemed like Green Party needed him. Um, I, myself, uh, voted for Jill Stein in 2016. I am from Chicago. Felt like Hillary Clinton had this locked up. With Lyle, to see the Green Party get a little bit more numbers on the board. Um, that was my calculation, so I'm just going to own up to my personal narrative at all. And um, uh, so far, I, it seems like uh, the Green Party is going to make uh, on the more major place. Um, I ostensibly support third parties uh, in this broken democracy of ours, but uh, I'm also just concerned that um, 
they're a, an encroaching gambit to uh, kind of collectivize all of the leftist, Western left talking points, communications, and try to say they're the authentic vehicle for it, and then watch them fucking lose by a landslide to the libertarians like a fucking joke, Howie. So mm. unless the Green Party you know, is setting us up not to do that again, in 2024, um, I'm, I'm going to kind of keep up with this theme of, like, they are not the authentic vehicle for the Western left communication uh, messaging. But, uh, yeah, I think I think you're right about that. Yeah, I have concerns about the Green Party. Uh, definitely, you know, why green, why not red, right? Red, red flag, you know? Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, this seems like they're kind of into this... Uh, uh, this weird space where they're like a well-known loser or whatever. <laughs> like everybody's heard it's of them. Kinda, yeah, it's, it's all it's all kind of suspicious. I like to, I like to know what the real story is. Yes. So you have lots to look forward to. I'm uh, excited to to take the dive. Yeah. See you next week.